I got well actually by the East Cut on Twitter this week. Oh no, what happened? So someone posted a thing about um, uh, a real estate developer in Hayward trying to rebrand uh, the South Hayward neighborhood as Sohei. I don't have any comment about that. <laughs> so so you, can, you can scroll up one level of the conversation in the Twitter reply that I sent you. And then I made the... the uh, it wasn't even a joke. It was just first the East Cut, now this. But then the um, the East Cut account replied saying uh, the difference is that we are a communi- uh, community benefit district so yeah so so i, I got replied guide on twitter by uh by a neighborhood association that's that's the highlight of my week so i, I get that typos happen on the internet yeah i saw that too, at the difference mm-hmm. hmm. yeah whatever um i figured if you were the if you're gonna well actually somebody uh, yeah yeah yeah. Hmm. Okay. Also, trends for you. I'm with her. Wait. What is this? Do I even want to click this? Probably not. Why is I'm with her trending? I. Mm, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't ever look at uh, trending topics on Twitter. See, this is. But the thing, as somebody who uses Twitter for five to ten minutes a day at most, I I can't use a chronological timeline client. It's because, like, just looking at, like, 30 minutes of a day on... That's, like, that's not that useful. Hmm. Uh, this has something to do with Mayor Pete, so I don't need this. Okay. okay. I'm... Well, okay, well, let's, let's let's get the East Cut stuff out of the way. Anyway, so, um... Yeah, whatever. I, I, I do appreciate what the East Cut does, and I understand that it's not... Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I hate the dumb name, but I actually appreciate what they do, and I think more neighborhoods should have a strong community organization that tries to uh, fill in the gaps for what the city doesn't do. But the name is still super dumb. I don't get the um, logo on this Twitter account. That's not the it's, same. It's the East Cut. It is. Yeah. Is you it? look at all those banners down where it says Wooly Mammoths were here or something. The whole <laughs> like, I, it's something, something it's like, it, there's like four of them. It's, uh, and, and now you're just, here. It's like cruise ships came here or something coffee was brewed here and then something about woolly mammoths and it's anytime i'm there it, it always confuses me and i just i have to restrain myself from sending you a picture of every dumb east cut emblazoned thing that i walk past i i've sent you a handful you have and i <laughs> when you're also not hate sending stuff about the um <laughs> scooters for no no the 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 foreign money uh oh. development happening along the uh the market era yeah yeah, that's that's not good. Problematic. <laughs> Problematic. Um, but and this will maybe this isn't really a transition, but this is something we'll probably get to later. Uh, in researching uh, this, um, the East Cut earlier tonight, uh, apparently they have a newsletter that mm. you can sign are up for. You are, are you an avid subscriber? I am not, because even though Mike Isaac is is uh, writing in the New York Times about uh, newsletters being the new like slow social network, um. I will sign up for a lot of things. I will donate to KQED, but I am not subscribing to the East Cut newsletter. No, I'm, I'm not currently. I, I sort of feel an obligation to, and then periodically send you little screenshots of what I find in there. I feel like that just, yeah, I feel like that needs to happen. That's fine. It's your inbox. It's, it's your attention. <laughs> that, that seems like that would counter, that would um, completely cancel out any headspace you're doing. <laughs> probably yeah Ooh. 
So we, we are we probably aren't going to talk about this until uh, later weeks. I'm trying to figure out how this stuff works. Um, but in terms of like the whole mindfulness and disconnection stuff, I've been trying. In the uh, Kevin Roos thing that happened, or that he wrote about in the New York Times about kind of like smartphone addiction, I really appreciate there was a throwaway line in the middle of the article about uh, pretending to meditate using an app on his phone, and I thought that was very, very, very accurate. Because <laughs> isn't that what everybody's doing? Like, I, I don't want to mess up your game or call you out, but like, I, I assume nobody's actually like I, nobody's sitting for an hour completely not doing anything, right? Well, yeah, the the sitting for an hour thing is definitely beyond me, and I I would venture to say most people. But like when I use Headspace, it's for ten minutes. I don't think I'm fake meditating. I'm I don't I don't think I'm like some expert at it. But I, I yeah I agree. Like I don't, I don't want to. And I'm, again, this is a, this isn't call out culture on you or anything like that. But like I feel like it's just. It's that meditation kind of seems, and I and I know nothing. Just quick clarification: seems like one of those things you have to do for a long time. Yeah, I, like I, I, like I, 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 I think it's probably hard to do that in bite-sized chunks. But I don't know. I'm I'm not a scholar of of uh, Buddhism. Well, part of part of what Headspace gets at is not so much the amount of time per session, but the regularity which you which you do it. It put a different way. Two minutes a day for thirty days straight would be far more beneficial than an hour, you know, twice in a month. That's fair, and 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 this is coming from somebody who has failed to gain any level of mindfulness and cannot. What's the thing with meditation? You're supposed to be able to like view your thoughts at a distance and like not think about stuff. Yeah, not not get not get caught up in them. Yeah, as somebody who's failed at that miserably every single time, uh, I'm nobody to judge. So yeah. Keep keep doing you. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, before we get into main stuff, there was only one because this, this isn't really um, chef special worthy, but this was something that's really fun on the internet. And since there was very little fun on the internet this week, um, I think I'll throw this in the thing. Somebody made a, an online CVS receipt, and this could be interchangeable with Walgreens, but I think CVS is the biggest offender. But um, you can just just try scrolling for a little bit. <laughs> Do you ever get it where you get one of these four foot long receipts and the cashier apologizes? No, actually, the thing I've gotten with almost every store now is, do you want your receipt? But the thing is, it's not like, and this happens at Whole Foods is is where I'm most consistently asked that. But the um, register spits it out anyway. Where that's that's weird. Like I like I generally don't want the receipt, but also that's just oh, it's like it's like when somebody's handing you something on the street, and it's like oh here you threw this away from me. I don't y- know. Yeah, I, I my my local market does exactly that same thing where they ask, I always you know politely say no, and then it prints out anyway, and then they throw it away, which I which I assume is related either to I don't know maybe maybe there's some legal requirement that a receipt prints out, or if not, maybe it's just some limitation um in the point of sale system that the store is using yeah i assume it's all legacy point of sale stuff but yeah weird also that was really vague local market well my my local market is uh i mean yeah you know not you don't want to get too creepy on this show carlos um <laughs> they're 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 kind of an odd um they're in an odd situation with their point of sale system where they don't support 
uh, chips. So you still have to like swipe your card if you're using a credit card. But they do support Apple Pay. <laughs> which is very it's not very illegal strange. Or, it, or not illegal but isn't that the deadline is passed where if you don't support um i think it's EMV, like the you, you you basically get no fraud protection from yeah the credit card ex- issuer. Ex- exactly it's like you're not required to but you basically assume all the liability if you can don't. you send can you send me in the robot which market it is yeah sure i'm, ve- I'm very curious now i won't mention it yeah yeah um are you, are you curious like right now a little bit i don't know if you've ever been to this one. Oh no It'd be it'd be kind of be kind of out of your way. No, no. I was, I was wondering if it was even like a small regional chain. Like there's Woodlands Market and Nugget, and well, actually Sprouts is national now. But this is this is super maybe. This is maybe like Berkeley a Berkeley Bowl level. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, CV, uh, on CodePen.io, yeah, CVS receipt. It just keeps going no matter how long you scroll. Yeah, it's uh, in the notes. Yeah. All right, uh, we got some follow up, and then we have a lot of uh, meaty main topics. Mm, so, I like yeah. I like the meaty ones. <laughs> You're the king of uh, keeping us on track for follow up, so go for it. Am I? That does that, uh, doesn't, that doesn't really sound like me. Hmm. Not very mindful of you. <laughs> um, all right, so we got a fair amount of EV follow up, which Carlos, I know, is your favorite type of follow up. Um, we mentioned on I think it was last week's show that Amazon evidently had a partnership. It was it was with Audi, right? For like, right. Home. I think it's I think it's more that Audi didn't want to deal with it, and they outsourced the <laughs> the installation of, um, like the the home charging stations to Amazon. Yeah, who then probably outsources it to somebody else. Well, so either Amazon and or Kia must be big fans of the show because, like, minutes after we recorded last week, uh, Kia announced that they also now have a partnership with Amazon for electric car charging stations is kia the brand that has a car that is endorsed by lebron or do they just heavily sponsor the nba no well both i think yeah both yeah. what's the lebron car it's been a been a number of years since i've seen an ad around that so i, I don't i don't remember it was some really nice sedan got it um, well <laughs> sorry kia i don't know yeah, I you know I I actually sort of um, put put this in follow up more so to just kind of quickly touch on a topic I've been meaning to get to for a handful of weeks now. It's particularly in light of all this EV talk, which is I do really think that a, a big advantage of Tesla, and it, it's becoming a bigger advantage it seems by the week as you know other brands start to introduce more EVs, which is their their whole story around charging, whether it be at home, around your community, or when you're traveling, is just so much more coherent and clear than any other manufacturer. Like, if you read anything about which charging stations support which particular manufacturers, um, especially when you're like traveling along a highway, it's it's a total mess, and you know availability is pretty limited. Like, I, I really do think that charging's become a really big advantage of Tesla. And I, I I get that, and Tesla admits to this, that, you know, the majority of charging does happen at home. So day in and day out, maybe a lot of this isn't an issue, but I do still feel like the, you know, supercharger network and the fact that you can just, you know, purchase a charger, a home charger directly from Tesla, like all of that added up together just 
it's just a lot nicer. Yeah. Like, is that called vertical integration? Eh, maybe. Or is that the wrong use of that term? Yeah, I, th- I think, or like the include the like completeness of their solution, where the charging, both at home and out of home, is mostly in house. Is actually, you know, you're you're absolutely right. It's a huge advantage. Where even, I think we reviewed this last week vaguely. Where uh, the e-tron uh, from Audi is, they're, they're boasting that it charges faster or as fast as the highest rate uh, supercharger. But again, yeah, like for the past 15 years or so, ever since the the GM uh, EV1, like there's been like this weird rollout um, that's just like this hodgepodge of standards and charging speeds. So whenever you were to look for any non-Tesla branded EV charging station, like it, it, it's a complete crapshoot and really hard to determine what speed charging you would get. So yes, and that's absolutely a huge advantage for Tesla. And I guess like the one thing you can maybe point out is the fact that, you know, Tesla's gone with a proprietary connector, but then the kind of the counter to that counter would be that they literally with the car include an adapter, which converts that to the standard that basically every other EV charging station uses. So as a Tesla owner, you, you have access to, to basically everything. Whereas if you have any other brand, you're you're really limited in um, where you can charge. And even even in places where you can charge, you're often limited to, like ChargePoint is the network that I've experienced the most often if I'm charging at a non-Tesla station. And I mean, most of those are, are really, really slow. So like if, you know, if that was like your primary charging station for some other type of car, I mean, you, you'd be literally sitting there for hours. So it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be doable if you were traveling. Yeah, we'll see. Like, I, I would assume the way this is going to shake out is um, Audi slash VW and um, like just everybody, like Nissan, Jaguar, like all the people that are trying to make EVs a thing and are trying to revamp their lineup will eventually all get together and be like, we're going to put a bunch of money behind making the basically the like make, making kind of like the Android of like wireless charging. Whereas like every it's it's standardized and there's a bunch of companies behind it and they're gonna fix this. Because like they're not gonna be successful with rolling out EVs in mass if there's like because that's one of the things Tesla's been so effective at is um mitigating range anxiety with a really foolproof out of home charging solution that keeps on spreading. So if those other brands don't have that, that's where they need to figure that out. And I think that's one of those things where they can't do it alone. So they will eventually end up partnering with it. Because I think almost all these cars use the same plug. It's kind of like Tesla has like a lightning connector and everybody else is using USB-C. Right. So eventually they'll fix it. Maybe. I mean, they got to... I mean, they have to. uh, Yeah, I guess so. But they got to actually do it. Well, you know, everything's hard. (laughs) It's not like sending stuff to the moon. Or to, to Mars, wherever Elon, uh, or, uh, Elon Musk, sorry. <clears throat> Mr. Musk. Uh, is, is, is shooting stuff this week. Yeah. Uh, so then the other EV-related follow-up we have here is the Model Y was officially announced. Uh, so as a reminder, this is the crossover version of the Model 3. It, very, very similar to the Model 3. I, I think during the presentation, uh, Mr. Musk indicated that something like 70 or 75% of the parts are the are shared between the Model Y and the Model 3. 
Um, and then in some of the pictures and videos that came out after the event, uh, if if you just kind of saw it out of the corner of your eye, like you actually wouldn't even couldn't even tell that it was a Model Y instead of a Model Three. Um, I think if you look at it from the side, it's a little clearer. But if you look at it from the the front or the back, it's 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 kind of hard to tell. Um, but you do get about ten percent more space. You get a significantly larger um, hatchback trunk, um, and the the pricing here I think is is pretty interesting. It's it's you know they had said coming into the event that pricing would be about ten percent more than the Model Three, but the question sort of was well. Is that 10% more than the highest version of the Model 3, or is that 10% off of the base? And, and the answer actually surprisingly seems like it's 10% off the base, where the starting price is $39,000, um, you know, which is roughly well, a little more than 10% more, obviously, than the $35,000 base Model 3, and then, you know, kind of kind of works its way up from there, depending on things like range and whether you want all-wheel drive or not. So I guess I'm I'm kind of curious. Like, is this does this car interest you in any way? Uh, so a lot of things. So does this interest me, or does this introduce uh, uh, does this interest uh, 2021 me? Hmm. So this is, there's a lot of problems with this, and this this was really uh, upsetting is the wrong word, but like this 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 is dumb all around. So one, this car, like it's the exact same strategy that BMW and a whole bunch of other manufacturers have made, where they they have their sedan. And then, like, BMW has, like, their GT models, like the Gran Turismo models that are basically just 15 or 20% taller and have, like, a hatchback liftgate. And that's that's what it is. And they don't call them an SUV? Like, by whose standards would you call this a crossover or an SUV? Yeah, I guess, again, it, it, to me, it's sort of hard to tell so far. Like, I would really love to see one in person. But, but I, I get what you're getting at. Which is like it, I'm I'm all for Americans driving smaller cars. Like I like and I I think like like you know the whole like we're from Orange County like we're everybody buying a Tahoe or Suburban just because they feel they need a gigantic car. Like I like I'm all for that. But this is again a slightly larger sedan, which whatever. Like it's cool that they're diversifying their offering and stuff like that. But like, do you not find it problematic that like they're announcing this so so early and? it's basically a gigantic cash grab because they need money to float their operations for the next 18 months, which is the earliest this car will arrive for anybody. Like I, I don't get the whole uh, like um, secrecy and excitement around something that's basically the same thing and won't ship for a year and a half. Yeah. I, so my expectations you know, I guess going back a couple of months would would have been more along the lines of this being a fairly substantially different car than the Model Three. You know, definitely being inspired by it, but you know, when you would look at it, there would be sort of no mistaking that it was a different type of car. And I guess specifically, I would have expected it to maybe be a bit bigger and just overall to have a little bit of a of a different design, but. Given that that's not the case, and it really is a super, super similar car, I guess that the trade-off for that would have been, I, I would have anticipated this coming out a little bit quicker, um, just because it seems like they've got Model 3 production in a pretty good place. I mean, the, the $35,000 version 
I mean, yes, it was <laughs> super delayed in the grand scheme of things, but as recently as a month or two ago, they were saying that wasn't going to come until the middle of this year, and then they surprisingly dropped it a few weeks ago. So it seems like in some ways they're even a little bit ahead now on the Model 3 compared to what they were thinking only a short while ago. So yeah, given that, I'm I'm a little surprised that we're not going to see the Model Y until late 2020 and actually not until like spring 2021 for the like base the one. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, row, the, and the third row one. Which, yeah, we did. So I didn't mention that, which I guess is kind of the other standout feature besides just the extra room and the, the hatchback, which is, well, I guess it's related to the extra room. You you get a third row of seats, which is... You know, if you want it for an extra 3000 Yeah. Um but you know I so I I've been um been I've been starting to listen to the electric podcast mm-hmm. and um you know one of the hosts there owns a Model X and he was saying that even in the Model X the third row of seats is <laughs> very very uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh especially if you're a you know adult so he was saying that he kind of can't imagine what the third row of seats in a Model Y is going to be. Because really, like, if I visualize my Model 3 and, you know, kind of try to add 10% of space on the inside of it, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see how you, how you fit a third row. Um, but... Um, I guess, you know, I guess for kids maybe, um, or for just really short trips, it would... It will work, but that it kind of in general though, like that's sort of my problem with a lot of cars that offer a third row of seats is often that third row is just not very functional. You know, either it's just super super small, or when the third row is up, you you basically have no trunk, which I assume is probably going to be the case with the Model Y. Like if I were to ever get a car with a third row of seats, I would want one where when the third row is up, you still have a decent sized trunk. And, you know, I get that the third row is never going to be as comfortable as like the middle row, but like at least something where somebody could sit there for, you know, say an hour or two relatively comfortably. So this is not necessarily, a, it just started as a joke in my head, but it's not actually a joke. How long, because the only cars that ever have had a comfortable third row would be like a gigantic SUV, like a Spurban or a minivan. Mm-hmm. When does Tesla make a minivan? Yeah, so I was actually thinking about this kind of after the Model Y, um, because for the last, I mean, I don't know, I don't know when the speculation on the Model Three started. That was five, four or five years ago, maybe. And that's sort of, and I think the Model Y kind of started um, being talked about shortly thereafter. So Tesla's roadmap, you know, had been clear, and you know, people have been excited about it for a long time, and now that the three is out and the Y has been introduced and will be coming out here in the next year, year and a half. It, it is kind of a question of like, what is Tesla going to do next? I mean, they, they obviously are working on... Because the Roadster is not a mass market car. It's like, that's a cool, like aspirational car. Yeah, the Roadster is not aspirational. Uh, the uh, semi-truck is obviously a, a, <laughs> you know, a business thing. Um, they've been teasing the, a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that'll, that'll be for some people, I suppose. 
but there really isn't a um kind of definitive next like consumer car i don't know for for lack of a better phrase so yeah i don't i don't really know um what's next for for tesla i, I don't know if they would do bigger style suv or a minivan style car isn't isn't the model x is it like the size of a q5 like is it a mid-size or is it a full-size suv i I always have it because it's a weird shape so i always have trouble placing it amongst other cars yeah i've I've never been inside of a model x so i don't i don't know um i was kind of surprised on that electric podcast to hear that the third row of seats was so small i i guess i would have pictured that not really being the case um, but there is this picture from the Model Y event where they've got a Model S, a Model 3, a Model X, and a Model Y all side by side on the stage. And I guess like in this picture, the the Model X actually doesn't look super big. So so yeah, I guess it is kind of a, a Q5-ish size. Hmm. Although the Q5 doesn't offer a third row of seats, does it? I have no idea. I think you have to do, I think you have to get the Q7 for that, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, I mean, uh, Tesla's complicated and we've discussed it at length. I just, my biggest sticking point here was why announce it so far in advance other than the fact they they need slash one money, which which is totally okay. But like, also it seems weird for everybody, like for the media and, you know, like all the, the, the Muscarati, like all, all those people that like, live in his orbit to act like this is revolutionary when it's a slightly different car that has an extremely long lead time. Eh. Yeah, the the ordering process is a bit strange. With, with the Model 3, it was a $1000 refundable deposit and you, you know there was no configuration studio or anything like that. You just, you know, you just put in your $1000 and then you waited to be invited to further configure your car um oh my god but with um but the model invited y invited to buy a car yeah that's 2019 but the model y they opened up the configurator right away and then if you went through that and wanted to put in an order you had to put in 2500 dollars and Tesla's still saying it's fully refundable, but it's being described as, um, I think they call it some kind of like processing fee. Um, Convenience charge. Yeah. Which, you know, it it does go towards the, to- the cost of the car, but um, yeah, I mean, to, to, to have them sit on 2,500 bucks for... Year and a half at the earliest. Well, and, you know, when has Tesla ever shipped something on time? <laughs> so... It, They're like FedEx. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's you know, it's not hard to see fall twenty twenty for the long range model becoming, you know, mid twenty twenty one, and for that entry level model to be go from spring twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two. Like that's all. That's all pretty easy to see. So you know, twenty five hundred bucks just sitting there is um. So that's a long time to be without that money, without anything to show for it. But I say that as someone who had given Tesla a thousand dollars for a little over two years. Mm-hmm. So, well, that was all just stuff you're going to take to the Coin Star. So, <laughs> that's right. You just have a Dutch oven sized uh, spare change jar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
All right. And there was one last thing in follow-up, maybe? Oh, well, and the other thing I was going to throw out is the uh, only other concerning thing is um, it was like rainy here on like Saturday or Sunday. And uh, when I was driving around, I saw three Teslas all with the exact same widely known defect that they still haven't fixed, uh, which is basically they haven't water sealed like their headlights or taillights. So water gets in it. And I was just like, oh, yeah, hmm. they I, they still haven't cracked reliability yet. <laughs> and and I'm like, because the, the media coverage of Tesla is always so weird as it's going to be uh, they're going to put uh, GM and Ford out of business or there are no adults in the room. And, and I just feel like there's a weird um, spectrum of coverage that they get when a lot of times, yeah, they, they seem to also have trouble just making cars that work. I don't know. When I was waiting for my Model 3, there was this um, Tesla forum that i would regularly check in on Mm -hmm. and one of the forum pages was for people who had actually gotten their model 3 and one of the pinned posts at the top was (laughs) a google doc that someone had created Mm -hmm. with a list of i don't remember it was it was long it was 75 or 100 items that they recommended everybody who took delivery of their model 3 check on their car (laughs) So basically, it was like a list of known um, quality control issues that they encouraged you to uh, to check out on your own, like before you uh, took delivery of the car. Uh, and, you know, listeners will remember with mine, you know, mine had some pretty significant uh, scratches, both on the inside and outside. And, you know, Tesla was super, super nice about it. And it was it was fixed, you know without any problem um but i'm in a very very privileged position where i'm i'm very very close to a tesla service center which is actually really lucky because there there aren't a ton of service centers there are far fewer than you'd think there would be well it's basically the centerfell one or fremont isn't it uh yeah exactly Uh, like i have a friend in southern california who is something like an hour away from his nearest service center and he's I mean, he's had far more trouble with his model three than i've had with mine uh, like he's had to have the whole um like uh screen replaced like he's had all kinds of issues and you know every time one of those issues comes up it's it's an hour trek whereas for me it's you know, it's it's pretty close mm-hmm. yeah well they'll, they'll get it eventually $2,500 at a time. Still, I'm still, I'm, I'm so curious with your car situation. We're going we're to be tracking that all this year. Again, I'm pretty sure we've already talked about, it. I'm going to get the most middle-aged person car there is, which means I'm probably going to end up with a Volvo XC60. <laughs> like, look, like, look at it. It's literally one of the most boring cars imaginable. Yeah, it, it's, that, that's a fine car, but. Well, yeah, and, and that's exactly what I want. Something that says, you know, very few aspirations left at age 30. I really like the um I really like the new Ford Edge and I really like the um the 2020 Ford Explorer that they've announced. Not out yet obviously, but yeah, I don't like SUVs though. Hmm. Like I I will accept like kind of a crossover one which is where like why the XC60 is the largest I'd want to go. So like on the Ford the Ford side the biggest you'd go would be the Escape. But the Escape I think is also quite tall. Like it it's is. just not long, which which I guess maybe that's like there's the illusion of sportiness with like a Q3 or an XC60 or something like that. So yeah, 
Or I can just get a minivan and be done with it. Just be a single guy who drives around in a minivan. <laughs> uh, just uh, pimp out. Is that a term still? <laughs> a uh, Honda Odyssey. Try that. <laughs> uh, who knows? All right. And then... Eh, this doesn't follow it for some reason. I don't remember why. Oh, well, this was... I think this is just a throwaway thing. Where CNBC posted, um, and I think I put this in Slack as the most um, ambitious headline possible, or they really went out on a limb here. Uh, title being, Apple is expected to reveal its new software for iPhone and Mac on June 3rd at WWDC. <laughs> yeah, really, really <laughs> going out on a limb there. Um, I think I threw it in follow-up mostly um, just to, yeah, poke fun at the CNBC uh, article, but then also just to... Uh, acknowledge that WWDC dates have been officially announced, and oh, no, yeah. no, no surprise. June third to seventh. That, that's you know that's what most people had been speculating for a vi- variety of reasons. Hotel prices have adjusted accordingly. <laughs> yeah, I bet. on average, people are saying it's twice what it was last year, which was really, really expensive even at that. So that's kind of lame. Or I mean, I mean, it is what it is. But that it, eh. if I was someone who, for my job or for whatever reason legitimately well i guess you would never need to go but like would really want to go and get a lot of use out of going to wwdc i would i would find that whole process just infuriating because you have to go through this crazy lottery system just to get a ticket but then in order to have any shot at any kind of reasonable hotel and flight you're going to have to book those even before you know whether you're going to get a ticket. So you better make sure that you're booking a flight and a hotel that's refundable. I mean, that that whole thing just sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. And yeah, just, it kind of also just seems like it totally prices a lot of good people out, but you know, you could say that about the whole Bay area. So (laughs) (laughs) what are you going to do? Understatement of the century. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> that's wow that's and yeah that's really sad um brings up a lot of emotions okay um let's stick a fork or let, let's put a pin in the wwc stuff we'll, we'll we will pick up on that really soon um let's cover one frivolous or unimportant unti word thing then we'll talk about spotify and apple and then we'll jump back into apple stuff okay so uh following up last week's episode where i think you revealed that you were giving spindrift a shot I'm I'm literally have one in my hand right now. What flavor? Still lemon. It's still lemon. Yeah, I have. good. It's it's fine, but I can't I can't find any other flavors. So you know. Well, so I, I'm going to give you some perspective yeah. right now. Okay. Well, yeah, so, yeah. And actually, right after you said that there was there was like a run on Spindrift at Target, <laughs> I went I went to and again the, the show has reach. Uh, I went to Target of, for my weekly, very quiet shopping at nine o'clock on a weekday. My favorite. Um, there were there was nothing but. Uh, a couple of cases of lemon spindrift left over not even my beloved half and half tea flavor and i was very like the entire shelf it was like there was a hurricane coming <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was it was very distressing so um i did end up going to safeway uh not because they were out it's just i don't want to make it seem like i'm an addict or something but went to safeway who does have a different variety of spindrift flavors and they do not carry half and half unfortunately uh but there were two new flavors that i tried one was uh grapefruit and the other is raspberry and lime. Okay. Uh, one of which is amazing. One of which is I had one can and the rest uh, went into the work fridge for other people <laughs> to enjoy. Just like the Coke, uh, the, uh, the Diet Coke when I thought it was sparkling water. 
So, which is which? I'm gonna. I have to guess that you liked the grapefruit one. No, really. Okay. So here's the thing. So, uh, Spindrift does use real juice, so therefore there is a tiny, tiny bit of sugar in it. So the raspberry and lime one is only one gram of sugar, which is naturally well, occurring, can I, of course. So can I interrupt you there for a second? Yeah. That was one of the... Th- I meant to bring this up on last week's show. So I'm, you know, I'm looking at this lemon one that I've got in my hand. I think it was like two grams of sugar. No. So that's the thing is it says 3% juice and there's three calories, but in the total sugars line, it says zero grams. How, like, how can that be? Because you can round down. Mm. I think it's a half a gram sugar. Got it. So the thing with the grapefruit one is that's actually the highest sugar content one, which has a four grams of sugar per per can, and it was disgusting. Yeah, I'm not a big um, I'm not a big grapefruit guy. And here's the thing: I love grapefruit. If if you if, secret, if you if like if there's a grapefruit cocktail on on a drink menu, um, I will re- if there's nothing else. If everything else is like just super hard alcohol sounding stuff, um, I will order that and pray that it doesn't come out pink. <laughs> um and and i am i am not above uh beverages like that or like pink beverages it's just i don't like i don't like cocktails that look like you'd be served them in cancun or something Mm. do you know what i mean i I guess so i mean i personally i have no shame when it comes to ordering cocktails like that but 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 i get it and it's it's not it's not the gender thing or any or any of that kind of stuff it's the fact that it like it does this look like it would be served to somebody like on um what's what was the name of the thing in wally or like on like a sandals vacation resort. Like I, I just not, not entirely into that. But yeah, so the grapefruit one, insanely disgusting. It was it was like so bitter and and not good. But the raspberry and lime one is so good. Like new favorite. I, um, so very perplexed. That sounds that sounds really really good. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, your money back uh, to any listener that buys it and doesn't like it. Avoid uh, in all fifty states. <laughs> I feel like I have to avoid putting this episode out though, just so that I can go out and get some before they're all scooped up. I, I, th- there's been a really, and we joke about the reach about this show, but th- there's been uh, in the past month like a lot of really odd circumstances where stuff happens like within the days after the show that really seem like Bezos or somebody's listening in. <laughs> he would have no device uh, that aids in doing that, none at all. No. Actually, I'm going to insert one more topic before we get into that because that, that segues really easily. Do you have a Kindle? I do have a Kindle. Yeah. Do you do you like your Kindle? I do like my Kindle. Do you recommend somebody get a Kindle? I mean, this is a very much a cop out answer, but I think it's very true. It it just depends on how much you read, right? And it, it depends on how much you value being on a kind of single purpose device like that. Like if you. Like for me, I I really just I just don't enjoy doing long form reading on a LCD or LED screen. I, I it, and it's not even like an eye strain thing or anything. I just I, there's just something about looking at a screen for that long that I just don't enjoy. Which on the Kindle's e ink screen, you you don't you know I don't know I don't get the same kind of feeling from. So which Kindle do you have? Just the the basic, you know, paper white. Not the not the most recent version. I think they came out with a, a newer version of it know, a month or two ago. It's it's a it's a generation or two old now, probably. With or without special offers? Uh with special offers. Hmm. 
what what's what's an example like what what are they like i know they're ads only on the lock screen but like what is a recent sponsor so it's a lot of other books in the kindle bookstore oh so it's not even like it's, it's not an ad for ford or something or like an ad for lyft no it's 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 i think it's pretty much always stuff that you can like buy on amazon <laughs> but it's totally you know it, it's it's on the lock screen i think there's a small one on the home screen but then when you're in the reading experience it's there's nothing so they're 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 pretty harmless they're 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 tastefully done so yeah i don't know i'm real i'm really weighing one um because i do want to read more and like i do have materials i want to read and you can have your instapaper formatted for kindle so like yeah, I that's re- that, that stuff is i when i first got a kindle way back when i i messed around with something like that instapaper stuff and that it's a little fiddly. I don't really know. Maybe it's gotten better since. I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I would do some research into what's involved with that before you before you buy one for that purpose. Yeah. So, I mean, the problem is here is that um, so I'm weighing the Kindle Paperwhite versus the Oasis, like the fancy Jason Snell model. And I, don't, I just don't know. Because I would want the one that has the 3G in it. Just so it's because I don't, I wouldn't ever want to plug it into a computer to put any content on it that's not from the Kindle store. Well, but I mean the but the but the non the non three G one has Wi Fi. But it, huh? Does it? Can you still do like the send to email, like where you get a special email address for the Kindle, and that automatically loads whatever attachment is into the Kindle? Yeah, I think so. Huh? Okay, you made to save me some money. Yeah, I um I've never had a cellular one. I've always had just just a Wi-Fi one. Hmm. Cuz yeah, at that point the Kindle Oasis is either 300 or 350 depending on whether or not you get the cellular one and then the the Paperwhite without special offers ends up being 180. Yeah, but you you I think the other thing with a Kindle that you always want to think about is never buy one for full price. They go on sale. They go on sale all the time. I, they were they were they were just on sale either last week or the week before where I think the the paper white with special offers I think was down to like a 110 or something yeah but the, the I think I saw that but that never applies to the Kindle Oasis true yeah the higher end Kindles I think they they generally exclude cuz the thing is I really would want page turning buttons and that's one thing where I don't I don't know. I like I know a ton of people who have and like the Paperwhite. And it's such a good value, but I don't know. The yeah, the 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 button thing is that's that's legit. Like the older Kindles used to have buttons and then they got rid of it in the the base Paperwhite. And it's it's fine, but I I wouldn't mind having buttons again. Yeah, <laughs> remarking on that, I do remember my because I bought the very, 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 very first funky Kindle that actually had a full keyboard on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of a misguided product, <laughs> or that was a very ambitious product that they were like, "Yep, nobody ever wants this," and then they they scaled it back really quickly, and that was smart of them. It's kind of funny that um, 
like I remember when that first Kindle came out and, you know, everybody remarked at how basic the e-ink screen was, mm -hmm. but everybody was like, well, yeah, but you know, like e-ink screens are going to, they're going to get a lot better over time. There's going to be color, like all kinds of stuff. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like e-ink screens has like the technology there, at least for the Kindles has remained like, I know that they higher contrast and stuff now, but well, the, the resolution and contrast have gotten way better. Um, so the clarity of text and the sharpness of text is better, but yeah, the, the color e-ink stuff totally never went anywhere. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, that first Kindle that you're referencing, I mean, God, that came out. Two, I had it in college. Two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah. 2008, maybe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah, a while ago. Yeah. Do they still make the Barnes and Noble Nook? That's a good question. I think when so. That, when that yeah. originally came out, and then they were like, oh, but it has an Android touchscreen at the bottom on top of the ink, and then everybody was like, no, nobody wants this. Oh, that's right. Uh, apparently they do, but it's outsourced to some Indian technology company and is Barnes & Noble, like, barely in name only. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Okay, that helps. Um, I will probably uh, maybe I'll do this as an ask upgrade question and maybe see if uh, Jason can give me some advice. <laughs> I not, think not it's. I think it's been an ask upgrade question. I I'll I'll be apologetic. I'll be like, hey, so people probably asked you this in the past. I like because there's no searchable ask upgrade database. Well, maybe that's your ask upgrade question. <laughs> why Why don't you make Mike put a bunch of extra work and catalog all these? Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, do you let's can we talk about Spotify and Amazon or Spotify and Apple? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh so this happened uh this was late breaking news that happened right as our last show was starting where Spotify launched an online campaign um against Apple and to raise awareness about kind of how the App Store economic works and how um it like do you think the average customer knows that Apple skims 30% off the top of everything that happens in the App Store? No. Do you think people think there's a fee at all? Or do you think when somebody signs up for Pandora Premium or Spotify that Spotify gets all the money? I'm not sure that people really think about it one way or the other. But I guess if you were to ask someone, they would they would probably say that the um, the software developer or the service probably gets the majority of that money. Do you think 70% is a majority? I, I would think the average person would think they would get more. Okay, there we go. That perfect. That was an amazing answer. So yeah, so a time to play fair dot com, uh, which presents an interactive timeline of how we got here. So the whole thing is, uh, yeah, there's an iPhone and the app, and it originally launched with apps. The app store came, and blah blah blah. And Spotify launches around the same time, and both companies grow together. And there's always been kind of disagreements and stuff like that. Um, but it's come up a lot of times in the past couple of years to the point where there was kind of like it, it almost boiled over in, ter in terms of um, developers and content providers getting upset about the 30% cut. And then that's when I think it was last year that at WWDC, Apple cut the subscription um, take or fee that they have to 15% after the first year. I don't know if that was one or two years ago, but it's been a very, very common thing where the 30% cut is a um, contentious point for a lot of developers because many different uh, business models for the apps that are in the App Store don't really have 30% margins to play with. And therefore, if they um, 
let Apple or, or use Apple to facilitate the transactions in the store that basically eliminates all their margins or makes the iOS um, an unprofitable platform for them. So, I mean, that that's a, a, a fair debatable thing as to whether or not Apple is entitled to the 30% cut that they take. Is there enough value in the payment processing and the um, benefits of being inside the App Store? Is that worth it to people? But the one thing that's come up in a lot of these discussions is um, that Apple is extremely explicit that if you do not choose to use Apple's payment platform and in-app purchase technologies, that you may not, um, one, you can't use like a web view to help people purchase stuff or do things like that. But also you can't mention that you can sign up or that there is any way to sign up for your service anywhere in the application. Whereas if you're a company like Netflix or Spotify that doesn't want to pay the Apple tax, um, your app will automatically get rejected from the App Store if you even so much as say go to netflix.com, have a hyperlink, or say sign up in your browser. That is an automatic rejection from the App Store, which seems like a very, very monopolistic um, type of thing to do. And I'm, yeah, I don't know. I want your thoughts on this. And I'm just very surprised. Not surprised. Like, I, don't, I just think it's good. And no, surprising that they've gone so direct to consumers and the media in calling out Apple and trying to make this a public fight rather than a private negotiation. I mean, my my view on this is I would rather Apple compete on quality as opposed to just on the basis that they own the platform. And like, what I mean by that is I would much rather there be the ability for developers to offer either web view pages or or whatever some other alternative to process in-app purchases but have apple then come in and say well you know while you can offer that look we have this really seamless nice experience that you could offer your users which they would be much prefer. And I, I do think there would be a lot of cases where developers would look at look at that and say, you know what, yeah, you know, that is um that is worth paying Apple uh, a percentage to to make that user experience quite a bit better. Yeah, because like there's a lot of apps and things where there's like if if um there was a service that I wanted to use that wasn't run by somebody gigantic like Amazon or Netflix or something like that. There's there's a lot of companies where I maybe wouldn't trust them or would not want to go through the trouble of even if they were allowed to dump me into a web browser and sign up for a service on their own. So there is like there are a lot of companies where yeah you, you would make the decision is it are we big enough and are we powerful enough to push people to our own payment platform or to our own website or is there enough value in the trust that's brought by bringing a customer through the Apple App Store. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. And I'd really also like to see like I, I don't want it to say Apple should take a lower cut. Like I I I like I, I mean I do think there's maybe some truth to just coming right to that, but I, I guess I would I would want to see some more flexibility with the cut that they take. And we we've obviously started to see it with recurring subscription revenue where 
you know, it's a 70-30 split for the first year now, but then after that it becomes 85-15. I, I, would, I would like to see more differentiated options like that. And I, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but a, a flat 30% across the board for developers large and small, no matter what space you're in, that, that, that doesn't seem like quite the right answer. Yeah, so and that's and that's a good way to move the conversation along. Which is like, if you think about what the actual solutions are to this, like it's it's probably yeah one of a few things. Either it would, the one that's probably least likely to happen, or probably won't happen to the degree that would make people happy is yeah, Apple changes what cut that they take, and they either make it eighty five fifteen for everything, or like, and I just sent you a link that you could put the notes that um for the the what the App Store on Windows, I think maybe is whatever this is referring to, um. Microsoft is doing a 95 5% cut because like you have to think that the credit card processing fees like those are on average like two and a half percent so there's they're still making money so yeah so option one is Apple takes a smaller cut which mm, probably the least likely to happen or you like because even if they made it 80 20 I don't think that moves the needle for most people the other one is that um Apple um like does more private negotiations and exempts certain companies from this, um, which is kind of like I think HBO and Netflix have already been rumored in the past to have had private negotiations where even though they made the 85-15% split, like that was a deal that Netflix was already getting a while ago. And then eventually they just realized that now we're big enough where that's still not something that's worthwhile. And the third and the one that seems like the most bright and the least monopolistic, and or at least we're... Apple can say, oh, no, we're not in a monopoly. We're, we're now allowing people to do this. Is that you just let people redirect people to sign up elsewhere. Like if you, if you download the Spotify app, there's a way that says, hey, sign up on the web. And you can make it so that it doesn't even happen inside the app where you're dumped out into Safari. And that's a worse customer experience. And there's a decent number of people who will give up and Spotify will do the the analytics on that to see if that's a worthwhile number of people. And if too many people aren't doing it, then they can say, oh, yeah, let's use Apple. But like that seems like the easiest thing to do because for the companies that get the advantage of the App Store, Apple can still take their um, extremely large percentage for doing very little. And for those other companies, it ends up being a less shitty user experience by just letting them say, hey, go on the internet to sign up. Because even... Um, uh, John Gruber had a thing on Daring Fireball like two months ago where he downloaded the Netflix app on like a, around the holidays for one of his relatives and he was confused that there was no way inside the app to sign up at all and there was just a big login button and there was a little link on the screen that said call us and literally Netflix discovered that it was easier to have people in a call center tell you to go to Netflix.com to sign up than it was to give Apple 30%. It's pretty interesting too. It was actually a like a VoIP call. It wasn't, um, <laughs> yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, but and, but it was a human. It wasn't like just like a robot. You're right, or, right. It wasn't a recording. Right. So that's just that's so weird. So yeah, like I think option three is the easiest. I I think where this starts to get extra complicated too, which is obviously applicable to the to Spotify, which kicked off this conversation. Which is, you know, Apple is no longer just a kind of an agnostic uh, platform. You know, they they have their own music service, 
they're about to have their own video service, which I know you're super excited about. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to have, it's a, Jennifer Aniston's return to television. That's right. They're going to have a new subscription service. So they, they're, they're continuously rolling out all of these different services, which directly compete with applications on their platform, which obviously are, are subject to this revenue share, which mm. Apple's own internal apps aren't. And that's, you know, if you want to start having the kind of the monop- monopoly discussion, that's where I think there's a, there's a stronger case to be made. It, it was different at, in the beginning of the App Store where Apple largely didn't have any paid apps of their own. But now that they do and they directly compete with existing third-party apps, that that gets kind of sticky. Yeah, and... In- I, I really don't know how this would play out in court, but that's that seems to be one of the most obvious reasons that they would end up going with option three and this, just loosening up on the you can't tell people to sign up elsewhere. Because, yeah, that that that's where it gets super sketchy, where you're in. And this is something that also if you go to the time to play for a website, they bring up the fact that Apple will conti- just continuously violates their own rules or well maybe it's not a violation because they maybe the rules don't apply to them which that's a different the whole different problem where Apple music will constantly do notification spam like I'm I up until it became included with my cell phone plan recently like I, I was not a subscriber for Apple music for like a year since we all did the uh, like three month trial and it would like every three weeks it would spam you and say um, come back to Apple Music we'll give you another free trial or whatever like it, it, or get, like during the holidays it would say gift a subscription to a friend or something like that so there's a lot of stuff that Apple gets to do including not having to pay themselves a thirty percent cut obviously which means that they're competing on um, an unfair playing field and everybody else who has to live within the confines of that um, App Store which is the only way to get apps onto an iPhone. Uh, has to has to play on this unfair uh, unfair playing field. Yeah, and and I and I guess like I I I totally am not trying to say that Apple just shouldn't have take any cut and they don't deserve any credit for making iOS as accessible of a, of a platform as it is. But it just it it feels like there's got to be a a more flexible solution than what they currently have and i i I think i think that does come through some combination of allowing alternative payment options more flexible uh, revenue share agreements it's maybe a kind of one-size-fits-all approach like fit in the beginning like in the very early days of the app store but given the size of the app store and, and given that apple now directly competes in some of these uh, product and service categories, it, it just seems like the policy's got to change to acknowledge that. Yeah, like that—that's well said. Um, yeah, like it—it it either needs to be like maybe like a, a ninety-ten split, or Apple gets seventy thirty of the first three months or something like the thirty percent thing still remains fair. I think for single purchase applications, like if you want to sell an app for 10 bucks on the app store and you get seven, Apple takes three. I think that's entirely fair because 
for the most part, people would not have found your app or um, wouldn't have actually bothered to purchase it if it was just some random app, shareware app that you went to the web to purchase. Like I think for that, even in 2019, that still ends up being a very, very fair split. It's a subscription one where Apple does nothing except facilitate payments, where the current split is just, as you said, not keeping up with the times. I think, yeah, I, I so I 100% agree with that in theory, but I think in practice, what would happen is you'd get a bunch of these $1 apps, but in order for them to really do anything, you have to pay a $5 subscription as a way of kind of getting around the the higher rev share cut on that initial purchase. You could make it so that it only applies to apps that provide like a, a library of content. Like if the subscription is only providing additional um, like app functionality, that it, it falls under the 70-30 split. So did, did, I thought a lot of the App Store review now had become more automated. Like, is, is there still a human being that looks at every single app that comes in the App Store? I think for um, high-profile apps... It probably gets a lot of hands-on review because if you think about, um, yeah, like if Spotify slipped in an update where they now had a um, prominent link to sign up on the web, like that's a ton of money that Apple's um, no longer able to extort from them. Because I guess I'm just I'm not really sure how to enforce something like you're describing, which I which I again I, I agree is a good idea, but I'm just not sure how to enforce that without a pretty high degree of uh, manual review. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe we can ask Phil when he comes on the show. Maybe, yeah. Is that a good segue? <laughs> so, do you have anything else on the Spotify thing? No, I, I think that was a good discussion. Yeah, and, I, and I'm partial to this because I love Spotify. Like again, Spotify is the the hands down the best and most fun streaming music service, and I want them to succeed. I mean, like in Apple, can't because Apple still controls the majority of. Um, spend on mobile platforms just the more users on ios are willing to spend money on things than are on google and again a lot of that is stuff that apple's built but a lot of it um isn't and yeah spotify should be able to succeed on on fair terms but yeah so and this could be a heavy apple episode apple did uh they made available um to exec well, not executives but like well one was phil Schuller and one was a product manager for the imac and i don't want to minimize the imac person but um as somebody who wished apple paid more attention to the mac line probably lower priority in the company than phil Schuller. yeah but they're they're uh, lending out their their people for podcasts uh yeah phil Schuller on atp uh colleen i forget her last name on upgrade and it's weird and um, I, I think you may have more candidly negative or or or, or frank uh, opinions on this, but I'm going to speak. You can talk about the upgrade part, but I'm only going to talk about the ATP part. So ATP, the very first segment was just Phil Schiller on, just shooting the shit about WWDC. Um, there were no um questions of substance or consequence on it they talked about wwdc boxed lunches they talked about um like why it moved to san jose and stuff like that he told a story about um the time that steve jobs and him did a a, a demo of the ibook when it was one of the first laptops to have wi-fi in it and 
Phil was jumping on like a trampoline or something. Like it was, it was a fun segment and everything, but like it w- he was on the show for like 25 minutes. And then after the ad break, then the guys talked about uh, the Apple Spotify thing, which is something I would really love to know Phil Schiller's opinion on. And of course he was not asked about any of that. And I like, I get it, but then kind of what's the point? Like, I'm not saying like this needs to be like a investigative journalism, like hard hitting, like ambush thing, but also it's like slightly uncomfortable. I, I don't know. So you, you can tell me what happened on upgrade and then you can kind of maybe synthesize it too. And let me know what's up. I mean, it, it was a very similar experience to what you're describing with Schiller on ATP, where the whole discussion around the iMac really just felt like a, I don't know how long the interview ended up being, probably something similar to Schiller's, maybe about 25 minutes, kind of just felt like a, you know, a half hour long infomercial for the iMac. Like there really wasn't any substantial or hard hitting question that was asked. And there really wasn't any kind of like pushback on anything. It was really just an opportunity for Apple to kind of get out the messages that they wanted to get out around the iMac. And it it actually kind of came at an opportune time because Bill Simmons on a recent podcast of his was talking about something similar um, within the context of um, sports media. And his point, which I think is very applicable to uh, the T-word circles as well, which is with the pace at which news moves now, there's become more and more of an appetite for, you know, quick hitting stuff. You know, you want instant reaction, you want breaking news, you know, like the, the examples that Bill Simmons went into on the sports side was like, it used to be where if there was like a big sporting event, like the masters or the NBA finals or something, a, a big part of sports journalism were like the longer form pieces that would come out maybe a couple of days after the event, which would reflect back on the event and maybe give you some um, insight that you didn't know about, or just kind of some, some thoughts that came up in the days afterwards. And like that, that type of coverage now, there, there's still some of that, but people really want like the instant Twitter hit. Now they want the instant 200 word blog post. Now, like there, there's a, there's a need or a desire rather to have more quick hitting and instant reactions. Like bleacher report, a report culture. Totally. hundred percent. And how do you provide that type of content? You need, you need access. You, you, you know, for the, for the piece that comes out days later that, a lot of it is kind of your own thought about the event. You don't really need, a, you don't necessarily need a ton of access for that. But if you want the, the breaking news, you need the access. And what's the way you're going to get access? It's going to be by kind of currying favor and by probably, you know, engaging on the terms that your subject is going to want to engage on. You know, so like in the example of, Schiller, there's there's a zero percent chance he's going to agree to come on ATP if he's going to get asked about Spotify because he's just not going to answer questions about that. But then you know, 
my kind of rebuttal to that would be then, so what's the point of having him on? Like, I mean, I, I, I guess if, if you want to do it from a kind of fan servicey kind of perspective, okay, fine. But, and it, you know, we've kind of, I think, batted this idea around on the show that it's, it's, it's introducing a bit of a different topic, but it's sort of like, like, what is ATP? What is upgrade? Is it, is it news? Is it, um, is it just kind of like a, a fan thing? Like it, it, so I, I, and I have thoughts on that because that's where I would not, not come to the defense, but like both of those segments were really weird. Um, and, and I, I, I didn't care for it because I wouldn't say the upgrade thing was an ad. I just think there were um, very few questions of substance, and it was it was mainly it was like it was a conversation with somebody about a subject that they wanted to talk about, and and that and that's great. But yeah, but about those two shows and about like a lot of the stuff that we listen to, I, I and I think it it is fair to. <sighs> Upgrade ends up being like a show that's really, really good and really enjoyable that is two people talking about things that they are fans of. And 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 would you would you call yourself an Apple fan? Oh yeah, definitely. Me too. But uh, but also and uh, I mean this show is probably <laughs> probably more me than you because you're more um balanced and, and less prone to um hyperbole. <laughs> but like I can uh, very often get really negative on Apple. Especially recent Apple, you know, the kind that ships crunchy keyboards and, um, you know, competes unfairly about the App Store and stuff. But, like, we're fans of technology. And I think um, Upgrade is two people that love Apple stuff and get excited. Like, I mean, it's a show where some, like, they're like, oh, yeah, we hope new products are released so we can give this company that's one of the most valuable companies in the United States more of our money. And I know that's, like, really reductive, but, like, I I kind of, like, I, I want Apple to release... I wish Apple released um, uh, everything. I want them to make home Wi-Fi routers. I want them to make a, a smart speaker that isn't bad. Like I want them to release all the stuff so I can get more money. Like that's that is the fan element of it. And I actually think, like putting aside all the iPady stuff, like I think upgrade is actually pretty fair. In um, one, Jason is awesome at giving context to technology because he's been covering it for. Um, He's been covering Apple specifically for so long, um, which often serves to temper uh, Mike's kind of uh, idealism about it. But I think I actually think it's very fair in most cases. But the, but I don't think they're they're like news shows specifically. I think they're um, shows made for enthusiasts to discuss the topics adjacent to the company and industry that they enjoy. I don't think it's strictly um, like, I don't think like those shows are free advertising or anything like that. You see, I, I don't know. Like I, maybe this is, this is the part where maybe we do disagree a little bit. I I, I didn't listen to the ATP um, show, but it, it sounds like for the most part, like the kind of the worst you could say about Schiller's interview was that it was a, maybe a bit frivolous and kind of just w- went off on some, kind of quirky topics like the, the iPad in or the um, iMac interview was really a, a pitch about a pitch for the iMac describing how beautiful it was and how 
entire office spaces designed themselves around it. It it really sounded to me like a like a sales pitch. And that's that's where I got a little uneasy about it because I think even even in the context of a show like Upgrade being not not so much like a hard hitting like Wall Street Journal type news source, but being more of a more of like a like a fan service type show. Even within that context, I have a little bit of an issue allowing the company that you cover come on your show and you know get twenty twenty five minutes of free airtime to kind of just say how great their product is. Like that, I don't know that 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 that's a little troublesome to me. Like I, I don't I don't think I I don't like it if I were in the position of a Jason or a Mike, which I'm obviously not, so it maybe it's easy for me to say this, but like I in their position, I really don't think I would want Apple to come on the show and, and give the the type of interview that was given on upgrade. I think that's fair. I maybe wouldn't go quite that far, but I th- I think that's fair. When you got to the whole yeah, like uh, she searches <clears throat> Instagram for hashtag iMac to see how people are displaying their computer. Like I, I get that that was a little much. But I, but you know, and like, and, and I, I, I want to. I mean, you, you say I'm balanced, so I mean, maybe maybe I should try to be balanced here. No, no, I, I, and I don't mean like in a Fox Newsy way. But I, like, I think <laughs> you 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 thoughtfully consider like both sides, and you, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you, you're not prone to hyperbole. Well, and and it, like, and and I'll I'll really I'll point that out here in that, like. I'm not suggesting that that Jason should ambush whoever comes on the show <laughs> and say, "Hey, why do you only put out iMac updates every like 24 months? Why don't you do them more quickly?" Like I'm, I, I I get that if he were to do that, then Apple wouldn't allow anybody on the show. And so I guess it, it, I guess it, it sort of comes down to this question, which is, what, what do you think's better? Do do you think it's better to not have the direct access and try to do your reporting and have your discussions using other sources and other methods? Or are you okay with having some level of access and and kind of knowing that you're not going to be able to ask all the questions you want to ask, but at least you're going to like get something. Like I, I just, I just don't know. I don't know exactly what the right answer is. And I, and I think it, I think it kind of depends. Like I, I actually think that the way that I would describe the Schiller interview, again, not having listened to it, but, but what you're describing it to me, it kind of seems like a bit of maybe a missed opportunity. Whereas with the iMac interview on upgrade, again, that, that to me came across as basically an infomercial and that, the the first doesn't really bother me, and I think in most cases is fine. It's I, I used the word frivolous earlier. I guess I'll stick with that. I mean, it, it's a little silly, and I I haven't listened to it for a reason because I just I don't I don't want to hear Schiller talk about the box lunches at WWDC. That's just not, I'm not interested in that. But I guess I would rather have that than Apple getting a, a free 20 minute ad on the show that is kind of in some way sort of objectively supposed to be talking about them Have, do you ever do you ever watch the tv show sports night <laughs> i did yeah i don't think i saw all of it but i i definitely saw some episodes when it was on 
So there was an episode, and also I find it funny that Felicity Huffman was on that show. And anyway, people can tie that back to last week's news. <laughs> um, there was an episode in the second season early on, because this is a show that I've watched through like six times. I find it to be, it was a very enjoyable two-season two show. Um, it, it was a thing where they had an interview lined up with uh, Michael Jordan when the show was struggling for ratings except uh, Michael Jordan's publicist people only wanted it to be a conversation about cologne and not about sports and that they would get editorial approval on the entire interview after the fact. And it, like, I know it's not a perfect analog, but it is one of those things of, would you prefer to have like a big name or somebody from that uh, arena on your show and not really talk about things most people would want you to be talking about or not having them at all. Yeah, no, I, I actually think that that's a, I think that's a good example. Um, I, I, and I would say, and you know, this is only me I'm speaking for here, but I would have much rather just heard directly from Jason and Mike about the new iMac for 20 minutes. I would have much rather heard their thoughts on it, their reactions to it, as opposed to the interview that we heard. Like to me, there just wasn't any, there just wasn't a ton of value in, in that. And if anything, again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in favor of companies being able to come on shows that cover them and sort of dictate the terms of engagement, which I mean, clearly is, is what's happening here. Yeah. I, I, I still absolutely love both shows. But yes, it's but something to think about. Yeah, I also totally understand. Like in the case of ATP, for those three guys, having some time with Phil Schiller is a big deal. And then I understand for a, a smaller show like Upgrade, like I think any direct level of access to Apple, whether it's a, a product manager or I mean, really anybody who can speak on a level of authority about a, a major product line at Apple, like that's, that's a huge get for them. And I, I, I 100% understand why that would be an appealing thing, but I, I don't know. It, it comes at a cost, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, two, two quick things to round this out. Um, I do think Jason did ask one good question, which he didn't, he didn't follow up on a ton, but about um, fusion drives in the new IMAX of asking kind of why is that still a thing? Well, it, like, and because the answer, but that the was, answer was the answer that was given was well, it, it was very unsatisfying. And, it was a it was a bad answer because the the the, the response was well, you know, it, it, spinning hard drives don't you know they don't make sense in laptops, so we took them out of the line. But then the the follow up question he should have asked was, "Well, you took it out of the Mac Mini. That's not a laptop. Well, that's also a more specialized computer." I, <laughs> I mean, it, but, but like I was I was begging for him to 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 have that follow up question, and I, you know, I <laughs> obviously he's not going to ask that because th that would just that would take the conversation in, in an uncomfortable direction, probably. Mm -hmm. um, the other uncomfortable direction is. I still have a 2015 iMac, and I was like, "Hey, this might be a good opportunity to upgrade because I'm I'm bumping up against the 500 gigs of internal storage." Um, and uh, they could ask, "Why does it cost $400 to move from a 500 gig to one uh, one terabyte SSD when you can buy a 
500 gigabyte SSD on Amazon that's very, very fast for $119. You know what he really should have asked about was um, he should have told the story about that. Um, was it a spider that ended up in his iMac screen? Oh, yeah. And then, and then he sold the spider computer to somebody at a Starbucks. And he, he, he should have... Um, you should have asked, so like, so hey, are these are these new IMAX or are they spider-proof? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, well, we will stop Monday mo- Monday morning or Wednesday night quarterbacking. Um, yeah, one of our favorite shows again. Oh yeah, still, I, I absolutely I, love it. I love I love upgrade, but um, even though they're so very wrong about iPads, still uh, love. Yeah. See, let's go back to the old days and them being wrong about that. <laughs> Okay. Um, do you want to keep going with Apple stuff, or do you want to talk about Google Stadia real quick? Um, I, let's round out the Apple stuff, and then we can do the the Stadia stuff. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna re rejigger this a little bit. Uh, AirPods. Yeah. There's new AirPods today that now cost forty dollars more because nothing ever gets cheaper. Well, they well to be to be fair, they they actually there, there's new they're, stuff. Yes, they're, they're the same price. Wait, uh, unless you want the the forty dollar more versions only if you want the wireless charging case. Wait, so are they now selling two SKUs of AirPods? Correct. Oh, boo. So I think the the That's version, confusing. yeah, the version that just charges via Lightning is still one fifty nine. But then if you want the version that comes with the Chi uh, compatible wireless charging case, that's one ninety nine. But they both have slightly better batteries. They both have. Um, Sig- they both have significantly better talk time. I think it's like fifty percent better talk time. Which actually, it's funny when that that was the headline because one of the things that I've actually noticed on my AirPods is that when I'm using them on a uh, video call on my laptop, the battery just <laughs> like it just it drains super super fast. But I, would, I well, I would assume that's because that is treated as a two DP like music it, streaming. It, well, that and I think also having the microphone activated burns the battery more quickly. So like when you're on a phone call, your battery is going to burn a lot more quickly than if you're just listening to music where the microphone, I guess is in some kind of low power state to, you know, listen for the um, smart assistant kickoff, but mm-hmm. you know, otherwise is, is not really active. So that, that actually like, it made me feel better about my AirPods because I thought maybe that the battery was just getting worse on them, but I, I think it's just because I've been using them more for uh, video calls. Yeah. So quick highlight of the best tweet on Twitter today uh, from Dan Seifert. The new AirPods look exactly as the old ones. How will people know that I am richer than those with old AirPods? <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, that was one of the big rumors is that they were going to come in colors whenever they got refreshed, and that is definitely not the case. I I would yeah I, I think I'd literally go stand out in front of an Apple store and wait in line if I could get a, a black pair of of AirPods. Yeah, I but the thing is I'm not sure black is less conspicuous. Is that the right use of that word? I just think I just think it would look cooler. Yeah, but you can already get that if you want to go. You, there's still that company Colorwave, yeah. Colorware. You can ship them off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so AirPods, that's cool. So that does suggest that since, oh, we haven't even talked about, like, maybe this is like five days of Apple or something. Like Tim Cook is just going on Twitter and posting things he knows are going to get get memed. And he he's, there's like, oh yeah, Monday is uh, iPad day, Tuesday is iMac day, Wednesday is AirPod day, tomorrow is probably AirPower day, and Friday is 
the Mac Pro Day? No, but it, it's it it seems weird that if if Air Power is really coming out tomorrow, that they that they didn't just announce it at the same time as the new AirPods. Well, that's where I really think it is. Five days of stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and also they really, really, really want people focus on those, the, that sweet, sweet service revenue on Monday or whenever that event is. <laughs> yeah, they, they really do. Um, cause there's like, literally we did five days worth of stuff to dispel with like the, like the Marco Rubio thing. <laughs> Let's dispel any notion, uh, that Apple is not about taking your money. Um, yeah, but they, they want you to know that there is absolutely no hardware coming. Don't get your hopes up. Do not frame this as a hardware event. We are here to sell you subscriptions so yes that's air power or sorry that's airpods um cool again i've come around on airpods um and also i always for some reason had the misconception or or the or or wrongly thought that they were very bad at uh phone calls and that the microphone stunk on them um and i've been using them way more for conference calls and long phone calls and they sound just fine nobody has ever complained about it Mm -hmm. yeah don't know why i always thought it was a thing uh other apple stuff uh we kind of briefly touched upon it but <clears throat> imax got their first update uh on the non-pro model in about two years um they upgraded the graphics cards they now use the eighth and ninth generation processors versus the seventh generation intel core processors um more ram is available in them and um yeah looks exactly the same but i don't think there's anything wrong with the way the imac looks so keep on keeping on uh, and then I think the most interesting part about this week has been iPads. So the iPad mini finally got updated and it is still most definitely a part of their product roadmap. And uh, the iPad air is, is, is back. So this, this was a weird one. So I, mm-hmm. I actually had forgotten that the iPad air went away. So as I guess they, when the 10.5 inch pro was announced, I guess Apple continued to sell the air, but basically only until they ran out of existing inventory. And then that product went away. And then what was left was just the, the base 329 iPad. And then to step up from there, you had to go to um, well, I mean, there was still the mini, but then if you, if you wanted to step up from there, it, it was all the pro line. Um, but yeah, I had, I had forgotten about that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, um, it's very strange to have a product go from being previously a, um, iPad pro that's now an iPad air, but I, I think it's exactly the same like case as that 10.5 inch ipad pro used to be and i think like aren't like all the uh, accessories for it are compatible with it right sorry say that again the so the 10.5 inch ipad pro which is now no longer which is which is now the ipad air in name but like all the same accessories work so yeah my understanding is that this is just a revamp like it, it when so last year's refresh of the ipad pro it was kind of weird that the iPad Pro 10.5 stuck around. And basically, I think Apple acknowledged that as well. And that just now has a new name. But all the old stuff, like the old um, Apple Pencil and the old... Because um, I think the 10.5 Pro is the first one that used that weird smart connector. 
Actually, no, that's probably the 9.7. But yeah, all, all the stuff that worked for the Pro 10.5 moved down. So literally, they could have just put a new name on it and made the processor slightly faster, and it would be exactly the same. Yeah, so this the the the, the lineup is confusing now. Um, I I yeah I I don't see like Jesse Char on Twitter had a good thing where there should really just be iPad Pro and iPad, and iPad just kind of encompasses the low to mid range models, and you just say, hey, do you want the eight inch one, the ten inch one, uh, the nine inch one, or the ten inch one? Where like yeah, who the distinct? Let's like I, iPad and iPad Air seem like a distinction without a difference. It's yeah, it's um weird, weird naming conventions, and also just weird feature sets. Where it's it's so strange to me that a cheaper and this was the speculation that we had briefly touched on last week that a, a cheaper product has the has a headphone jack. Like it, it's it's. It's strange to me that a the, that a less expensive product has something that a lot of people who have that more expensive product would probably love to have. Yeah, I, I guess like the the like maybe they're just using bezel size as the way to differentiate. Like I don't know, and it and it's really weird to recycle a name of a product that like it's not that weird, but to recycle a name of a product you used so recently. Like it was li- because we we've uh, like I've complained and, and put um, Apple on blast for that's a term young people use um, for keeping pro- like their product line so long in the tooth and like the air just kind of sat around forever and just they just ran it into the ground and then like it was only discontinued for like a year and now they're reusing the name again so how is somebody how is somebody gonna know that the iPad Air 10.5 is higher end than the iPad Air 2. Yeah, no, it, exactly. Um, and th- this is a little more, I don't know, T-word circle-ish, but like Air is not even being consistently used consistently across Apple's different product lines, where with the Mac, the Air is, is the entry-level laptop and then, like the MacBook is actually then the kind of uh, mm. not necessarily step up, but more at least more expensive <laughs> machine. Yeah. Whereas with the, with the iPad, it's it's the iPad that's the entry three twenty nine device, and then it's the iPad Air that I guess is kind of the consensus step up from that. So just the 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 Air, and then of course like <laughs> going way back, like right, like the original MacBook Air that was actually like the most expensive mac laptop at the time so the the air name has just it's a little all over the place and the ipad air isn't get, even gonna work with air power <laughs> sorry <laughs> nice um yeah anyway like i mean i i don't care about this too much just because like they're ipads but um yeah like it's 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 weird I, i'm appreciative that apple is is updating these products letting them, rather than just letting them languish, especially since it looked like for a while uh, the iPad was on an upswing. A lot of that was probably just pent-up demand for the iPad Pro and a more um, capable device. But like, I, I'd much rather this than them not update them at all. But again, I just feel like, just man, they, they're making the job of like their in-store representatives really hard of having to explain why all this... Again, somebody with a broken screen iPad 2 or iPad Air 2 walking into the store... And saying, what should I get? Looking at the iPad Pro 11 inch and thinking it's too expensive. And then somebody saying, okay, we'll just get the iPad Air. 
And they're like, but no, that's worse than what I have. And then like, that's, I don't know. There's, there's something, there's something for everybody or whatever the Tim Cook press release said there, there's something at every price point. Great. Hmm. All right. Um, anything Apple related? No, I think that's it. So you do the, uh, the Stadia is, is that how we're going to say it? You're the video game person. <laughs> um, it occurs to me, I've never said this word out loud until now. It's like Stevia. Um, <laughs> right. So this, so it's been the, the game developer conference this week in San Francisco and Google did a big keynote. I guess this, as we're recording this, this was yesterday that I, I thought was really interesting. So I'm, um, as you would say, really bullish on the idea that streaming is going to be the direction that that gaming goes where you know kids 10 years from now are going to think it's really funny that we used to have these big boxes underneath our tvs to to play games or these like big desktop computers to play games um like why wouldn't you just stream it because i think i think that's where everything's going and there's there's been obvious technical reasons why we haven't gotten there yet, but those technical reasons are um, slowly kind of being chipped away at. And if this uh, Stadia thing is to believe to be believed, Google's really really feels like they've sort of uh, sort of cracked it. Where um, you know, so this is their their streaming gaming service. It's going to be out sometime later this year. No firm date beyond that, but. You know the thing that actually really stood out to to me about the announcement, and I'll I'll put a link in the notes to this Verge article, is that they are going to launch with um, the next uh, Doom game, which I'm sure you've at least heard of in passing. But this is a a first person shooter series, but kind of more specific than that. It's it's a very very fast paced kind of frantic type first person shooter. That's it's. it's kind of the the exact type of game that this service this type of streaming service would seemingly have trouble with because every existing service that's been out there is it's worked fine for games that aren't super kind of like twitch based where if there's a little bit of input lag or whatever it's not really that big of a deal but in a game like doom you can't have that so the fact that they're going to launch with that game kind of tells me that they're they're pretty confident in it and i'm i'm super super interested to see if whether or not this thing um delivers up to its promise because if it does i think it's it's a huge it's a huge step forward yeah wasn't it, there was a company called wasn't it like on live or something yeah i mean there's been um yeah there, there's, tried this. there's been yeah there's been a ton of different attempts at this and and now um like, you know, even Sony's come out with kind of a first party solution of theirs that does this. And the the general consensus is that um, they they these services continue to get better. Um, I know that like NVIDIA's got one that they've been messing around with, which kind of similar to this Stadia thing. Actually, I was going to say similar to the Stadia thing, it just runs in a browser. But actually, I think that NVIDIA thing actually had a separate app. But but same same general idea. Um. But, you know, while they've been sort of incrementally getting better, this would be loads better. Like they're saying that 
Doom Eternal, which is the name of this next Doom game that they're going to launch with, is going to run at 4K, HDR, and 60 frames a second. Uh, which, you know, is... Um, just is, in the bar eye. Yeah, which is really, really crazy. Um, Have they then, suggested what the minimum, like, internet connection speed required for this is? They didn't really get so much into that, although... I think it, it's it's implied with any of these services that a probably 15 or 20 megabit per second, at least connection down is, is probably what it's going to take. Um, mm-hmm. um, actually, um, I, and I, I take that back. Google actually did get into this. So the, it, the, the quote here is Google says it expects to support up to 4K at 60 frames per second at launch over an Internet connection of around 30 megabits per second of bandwidth. So there hmm. you go. Um, but then the other thing that I think is really, really cool, and again, kind of one of those things we just have to wait to see if this actually works the way that they promise it will, is they, so they're going to come out with a controller for the service as well. And what's unique about it is it doesn't connect to the, the computer that you're um, using to stream the game. It actually just connects directly to your Wi-Fi network and is directly communicating with the game itself in the cloud, which Google mm. is saying is going to reduce latency, which is super makes sense. Su- yeah, it, it it totally makes sense, but it's it's just one of those things that you have to kind of you just have to see because um, yeah. it, that's that's really I mean the. This is, I guess, an obvious thing to say, but like with with any of these types of uh, video game streaming services, you you just really have to you just have to try it out to see how it feels. Like somebody can show you a video or talk about tech specs all they want, but until you actually get a feel for it yourself, it's kind of hard to uh, it's hard to know how well it works. But in theory, all of this sounds really really cool, and 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 if it does actually work. Like I think it, it it's hard to understate what a big deal this is for gaming because all of a sudden you go from requiring so like in the case of console gaming if you want 4K 60 frame a second gaming on your TV that's going to require something like a PlayStation 4 Pro or an Xbox One X which are four or five hundred dollar boxes if you eliminate that requirement. And replace that with a, I don't know, ten to fifteen dollar a month service. That that's huge, and that that totally that totally changes the whole kind of model around uh, console gaming and I think PC gaming too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, on Twitter a few days ago, I saw that somebody named Jade Raymond, uh, who apparently was. Um, a big wig at um was it EA or Ubisoft uh was an un, like an un, uh, a VP for an unnamed part of Google and then this completely explains what that is. Mhm. Um but yeah that's that's super interesting like I hope Google succeeds with it because I mean like yeah the current like cuz we we've, we've talked at length that is this the last generation of consoles and that kind of stuff or do people really care about this kind of stuff in the era of mobile gaming? Um and it seems like maybe it actually might be the last generation if google succeeds at this and that's that's a big if because google has always struggled with this kind of stuff um and making it like because remember like google tv and i mean hell even android auto like a lot of these other things haven't really caught on 
So does Google have, is, are they going to put enough skin in the game to actually make this successful and put enough resources behind it? Right. And also convince the IP makers that whatever new pricing model they want to sell it at is going to be worth their time. Right. That's, that, that's a big question. And then, of course, the other big consideration here is, you know, like you and I, we take a 30 megabit per second connection for granted. It's just something that we have. But that's not true of many parts of the United States. And so there's, there's kind of a question around, well, does this really increase access to certain sets of folks? And like one of the challenging things with, with gaming now is, you know, it used to be with console gaming, at least PC gaming's always been a little bit different. There's always been some, kind of an expectation of like patching and, and all that. Um, but on the console side, you know, it used to be, you would just kind of input your disc and away you went. But now, even for games that aren't connected to the internet to play, you're frequently facing anywhere from, you know, 15 to 60 gigabyte day one patches. And so a fast internet connection is almost required, even in the case where you're buying a physical disc. Which, again, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky conversation because, you know, it, it's just a fast internet connection is not something everybody has access to. Um, but I, I guess I bring it up as a way of just mentioning that, you know, just because a game is, is streamed versus on a disc, in both cases, you kind of might be required to have the same fast internet connection anyway. Oh, certainly. Which I'm not saying is a good thing, just saying it more that it's not a problem that's unique to the streaming thing. All right, chef specials. Chef specials, let's do it. All right. So I've got a quick one this week. Um, it, it's the new Gmail app for iOS. Hmm. So there's now a unified Gmail interface across the uh, desktop and phone, which there used to be, but then when um, Google rolled out their new, I forget what the they call it, but this material design, yeah, when they rolled that out initially, that was web only, and the iOS app and Android app were both um, using the old user interface. But that's all now been updated, so the material design now is in the iOS app. And as a heavy, heavy Gmail user, it's it's nice to have that uh, synced experience again. Yeah, it's neat. There seem to be a lot of visual inconsistencies with the app um, that make no sense, but it is good that they've put a lot of effort into it. It's not perfect, but I I generally really like Gmail. Yeah. Are you? Is it, does your work account? Is it a Gmail app? It is. Or sorry, is it a Google Apps? Mm -hmm. So you have multiple, uh, a personal and a work inbox that you need to synthesize or yeah, exactly. use the same app. Yeah. Got it. Um, and, you know, it, they, Google, uh, Gmail totally supports, you know, the whole one inbox thing for mm -hmm. multiple accounts. Yeah. I've dabbled with that. And I don't know, just the way my brain works, I like to have the two separate inboxes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like the ability to focus on one or the other. Like, I, I like being able to tune out personal stuff for a while or tune out work stuff for a while, having it all in one inbox is a bit confusing to me. Yeah. But also you do lose out on a lot of um, the Gmail specific functionality if you don't use the native app. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I guess I, I totally get why Gmail doesn't work for everybody, but, but for me, it, it really does. So I actually think using Google's native experience is, is a big advantage because mm-hmm. I, I really like it. Oh, cool. Um, so my, uh, my pick is, uh, I very rarely, very rarely ever make time to watch movies. Um, and I watched my one of two movies a year, uh, earlier this week. Um, and I thought it was a great movie. So it is called Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Have you seen this movie? I have not, but I certainly have heard about it. So, uh, normally hate all superhero movies. Generally, do not make a habit of watching any of your uh, your Deadpool's or your X Men's or your uh, your Avengers, but this was a um, categorically perfect movie. Uh, the art direction was fantastic. Uh, being somebody who um, the animation style was great. Being somebody who doesn't know almost anything about uh, superheroes, um, it was very very accessible and just told um, more of just like not generic is the wrong word, but like a a story that didn't require intricate knowledge of a lot of the different uh, characters that you were seeing was fun and funny, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. It had really, really good music pairing inside of it. And for like, yeah, it was, it was. It, I'm super happy that it won the uh, the Academy Award for Best Picture because Incredibles two was not very good. So yeah, so that was a really good movie. Did so? Did you get to see this in uh, 4K? No. So I watched it right before there was a uh, a legitimate streaming service that had 4K available. Mm. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to rewatch it because this, this might be a, like a Coco type thing where that's a movie that you must watch in HDR. Yeah, I saw... I, I, I actually... I, I was going to look into watching it, but then I saw that it wasn't available to rent on iTunes yet. Um, but it is going to be soon. And I, I think on there it is 4K HDR. Yeah. So yeah, highly, highly recommended um, for all audiences. Hmm. Really good. Yeah, that's that's high praise coming from you. Yeah, no, seriously, I, I had. It's one of those things where, like, I'm I whenever something's really highly recommended or universally liked, I usually treat that as like it coming in with like points against. I was very ready to not like this, but no, it 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 captures you really fast, and it's it's a beautiful movie, just in terms of like our animation style. Mm-hmm. 